I'm Margaret Brennan, and welcome to Facing Forward. This week, pressure is ramping up to vaccinate America as the CDC director warns more contagious COVID-19 strains are found in the U.S. The variants have been identified recently seem to spread more easily. They're more transmissible. New concerns are mounting over whether these variants could evade antibody treatments, once seen as a bright spot in fighting the disease. A little bit more concerning with the mutant that is now prevalent in South Africa, particularly its negative impact on some of the monoclonal antibodies that have been given for treatment. These treatments were used to help former President Donald Trump and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie when they were diagnosed with COVID-19. These are lab-made antibodies, and they're similar to those in patients who have recovered from COVID-19. So they give your immune system a boost to fight the virus. Eli Lilly, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, makes one of the few FDA-approved antibody drugs. Ahead, we'll speak with the company's CEO, David Ricks, about what they're doing to keep up with the evolving virus. We'll be right back. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Eli Lilly, CEO David Ricks joins us now. Welcome to the program. Great to be with you today. It's so good to have you on the podcast. We spoke on Face the Nation um, a, a few weeks ago, and I know a lot has been happening. Your treatment helps to reduce the chance of hospitalization from COVID-19 by 70%, but you have to give it within the early stages of the disease. As I understand it, if you are already hospitalized, it's basically too late for the monoclonal antibodies to work. Is that right? That's basically right, Margaret. Yeah, we have um, now two settings where we have data and, and the emergency use authorization that's approved already is for the first 10 days after a positive test. Um, now, it's some of the patients in that study might have been hospitalized within the first 10 days, so it's not exactly right that uh, hospitalized uh, patients couldn't get it, but first 10 days after the test. And we, we've we worked with the FDA to define a high-risk group, those that are over 65 or have other pre-existing conditions are really the target patients for, for the medicine. We've heard a lot of concern in recent days about these mutant strains, for lack of a better term, of COVID, uh, specifically the B1351 strain out of South Africa. Um, it may evade vaccines and even these monoclonal therapies. I want to play a soundbite for you of what Dr. Fauci told reporters on Wednesday. Now, I want to make one mention about the monoclonal antibodies because they are more seriously inhibited in the sense of impacting on their efficacy by this South African strain. That's the reason why there will be attempts to develop even other antibodies that might be able to avert this particular problem. So can you translate that? Does your treatment work against B1351 from South Africa? Yes, well, we, we don't know the answer definitively, but what Dr. Fauci is saying there is consistent with 
data I've seen from independent labs as our own laboratories where we do experiments in test tubes basically to assess the question is, is the response diminished with the mutations in the South African variant? Just to step back, there's three emerging variants we're all talking about, the, the Kent UK one, South Africa, and now this one out of Brazil. Um, to be clear though, uh, the Kent UK one, both our monotherapy and the new data on combination therapy we suspect fully neutralize this no differently from the other types. And that's actually the wave we, we worry about right now hitting the US because it's been uh, so successful in Europe, that strain, uh, it's coming here. Just to clarify, Kent yep. UK, that's B117, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. B117, which is now the predominant strain in the UK and across Europe, and is present in at least 25 states in the US growing rapidly because it's um, about 50% more contagious. Um, but that strain, we, we have strong uh, data to suggest we will we'll be equally effective against. The uh, Southern Hemisphere ones you're speaking about, Brazil and South Africa, have more changes in them. And um, based on our early experiments, uh, I would agree with what Dr. Fauci says. These monoclonal antibodies are likely gonna have reduced activity against those two strains. But it is also possible, as he said, to create new medicines, new monoclonal antibodies that will neutralize it. And in fact, there's one on the shelf already from a comp another company called Veer, where we announced this week we're starting an experiment with them so that a combination of bamlanivimab, our monotherapy, plus the Veer antibody will be tested. And that could be uh, uh, effective uh, against South Africa and the Brazil variant. So if you collaborate with those companies to, to get those treatments combined, how long will it be before we know the results of the study that's underway? This study we're doing now will be a few months. The benefit of using an off-the-shelf one that's already been through other phases of testing is we, we probably could supply it and ramp it up more quickly. In addition, Margaret, we've said this week we also have our own um, novel, uh, new mono, monoclonal antibody that we think on paper should neutralize both South Africa and Brazil. Mm -hmm. And so um, that will take more like six to nine months. So your competitor, Regeneron, said this week that its cocktail of antibodies does work, they think, against B1351. What's the difference between what they're creating and what you're talking about? Right. I know they said that. I wouldn't call them a competitor. We, we all want the same thing. We want to erase COVID. Um, and given the constraint on supply for monoclonal antibodies, I'm glad they're working on this. And it shows the benefit of companies taking different approaches. What I have seen from the published experiments, and there was an experiment published this week, it is true they maintain more potency, but there was some reduction in potency with their combination uh, against the South African uh, strain, the 135 that you mentioned. I think this all just highlights that that the virus is moving. It's a changing um, picture. So the first priority is vaccination to reduce the number of people infected, because the more people infected, the more changes that will occur naturally. And then we need uh, science to uh, keep track of carefully these emerging strains that require surveillance and doing genomic testing, which is not well done right now in the U.S., and, um, and then we'll need help from some regula regulatory authorities like the FDA to allow us to do basically what we do with the flu shot every year, where companies can change parts of that shot to keep up with the change in the virus without doing long-term uh, large-scale studies, because we're pretty confident that the science translates 
and with the safety of the approach. I think we're getting close to that with monoclonal antibodies and we'll need regulators to help us with a pathway there. We spoke on Facing Forward last week with the CEO of Illumina, which is one of those companies that does the surveillance and the the sequencing that you're talking about. And and he was pretty stark. I mean, he said, what we're, we're only sequencing 0.3%. We need to be at 5% of cases to actually kind of even know what's happening within U.S. borders with, with this virus. So, I mean, from where you sit, is enough attention being paid right now to this? Is enough funding being thrown at this? Because the CDC says it's aware, but those numbers aren't really moving up that quickly. I agree with um, with his comments. But just to step back, um, first of all, this cannot just be a U.S. thing. We've seen this virus moves and jumps continents much faster than we can control borders. So uh, the idea that we can shut down all the borders and contain it, unless we want to live in a society where we really have a lot less freedom, is just not a reality uh, with this this virus and probably other respiratory viruses. So we really need a network across the developed economies where people are mostly traveling to and from um, to to catch this. The second thing I'd say is is that the public health infrastructure in our country is in a in a poor state, and I think that was fully exhibited during the early stage of the pandemic and the poor testing capacity. It wasn't until the private sector and other labs spun up. We need more um, base infrastructure in public health in the country, and that would include this kind of surveillance uh, that you're talking about. Just to, just to sort of bottom line this for people listening, at this point, is America prepared for these mutant strains? Because it kind of sounds like you're saying we're not, but we're trying to catch up. I think you have it right. I, I think we're not fully prepared. We were lucky that the UK strain occurred in the UK first, and they have a much better surveillance system than we do. They made a decision early to sample 7% of all cases, um, and that's well set up. There's a, you know, The UK response isn't perfect uh, to this virus. They've had a lot of death and, and outbreak too, but that piece they had right, and that strain appeared there. And so in some sense, we got lucky, and we're, we have medicines on the shelf, uh, that we tested early, like our monoclonal antibodies. We know the vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer already work against that strain. What we have to do is get these tools in the hands of doctors and get them in patients' arms. That That's fortunate because if something like the Manaus-Brazil uh, strain was that one, we probably wouldn't have detected it. And we wouldn't. We know we don't have the proper tools yet. Um, so I think we need to not count on luck. Don't go anywhere. The conversation continues with Eli Lilly CEO Dave Ricks. Ahead, we'll discuss the challenges with administering the antibody treatment. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. So your company announced this week it has evidence that the monoclonal antibodies can be administered to those in nursing homes who've been exposed to the virus but haven't yet tested positive. So does that mean it can be used as a prophylactic to prevent COVID-19? We believe the study we announced this week in nursing homes does prove it can be used as a prophylactic very effectively to prevent outbreaks in nursing homes. We built mobile pharmacies that drove around looking for outbreaks. And then we set up in these homes and administered prophylactically our drug or placebo and then measured whether the disease spread in nursing homes. Um, we need to protect our seniors and we could give monoclonal antibodies. In this case, when one patient was infected, we uh, would then give it to every other uh, resident in the, in the nursing home. And we not only proved we reduced their risk of getting COVID by 80%, the, the disease was less severe and actually there was an imbalance in death so that uh, four patients who received placebo actually died in the study versus zero who got the drug. So we're saving lives as well. Those numbers are small, but you know it's indicative of the benefit uh, in this setting. So when we spoke last time on Face the Nation, you described you know that your drug needs to be administered by infusion through an IV. Is, is that still a bottleneck to getting wide use of the therapies? Should people who are infected or exposed to COVID have an alternative site to go if they want to receive your treatment? It remains a challenge. Um, When we spoke, I think we were uh, seeing that of the shipments we made to hospitals of the therapy, about uh, 20% of it was being used in the week it was sent. Um, That number's doubled since we spoke. Um, So that's a pretty good improvement, but 40% isn't 100%. So there's still a long way to go. The good news is we have many areas of the country that are demonstrating great practices. Um, And Interestingly, Margaret, these aren't the places where you know of, you know, famous hospitals and leading world experts. They're communities that, community hospitals that just organized to do it. In uh, Northern Alabama, the hospital system there has set aside space in every single hospital. They staffed with nurses and they're one of the busiest hospitals in the country in terms of using uh, the monoclonal antibodies to prevent infection. El Paso converted their convention center to an infusion center and and the the city funded it. It's making a big difference there. So what would your advice be to the federal government, right? We have a new administration with the Biden administration and and they say they're trying to help iron out some of these kinks in the system. What's the lesson learned from what's worked in some of these localities? I think three things. The first is, is to make the bet on the therapy, right? It's, this wasn't easy. um, But of course, there's a sense of desperation. Um, 
we had phase two data and submitted it for emergency use and experts, including at the NIH, as well as in infectious disease societies said, oh, it's interesting data, but we're not yet ready to fully endorse. We hope the data we released this week, which was the nursing home study, plus a very large phase three study for treatment that showed a 10 to zero uh, death benefit, along with 70% reduction in probability of hospitalization, will move them. And I think we need, you know, doctors pay attention to those endorsements, that's important. The second thing is, as we were just talking about, you need people to rearrange resources. And I think we've learned through this pandemic in the US, we have a lot of capacity and expertise in our healthcare system, we're not good at moving it around. We're not flexible. The final thing is the federal government is talking about coming on top of the local vaccination effort with some impressive national efforts, for instance, setting up vaccine centers at NFL stadiums and tents with National Guardsmen who can vaccinate people. We need a similar kind of thing for therapy as well, in particular in the states that are experiencing really tough outbreaks. Maybe we don't need it all the time, but when there's the, the hospital system's overflowing, we need federal help uh, to come in with extra resources. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, so stay with us. You're listening to Facing Forward. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So Eli Lilly reports earnings Friday, which is the day that this podcast airs, just to note for our listeners that we're speaking before that financial release. Um, Just big picture here. Uh, President Biden campaigned on this pledge to raise the corporate tax rate. It's currently at 21%. You've got offices all around the world. How would your company be impacted if the tax rate is raised again? Yeah, it's a good question. We hope it's not. Um, You know, I I think we (laughs) lobbied and we're very supportive of the reduction because uh, previously the U.S. was at 35%. This um, has a direct effect on where we place investments. What had happened in the pharmaceutical industry is almost all of the manufacturing sites that were built in the last 20 years when the tax rate was high were overseas. And there's been a lot of reporting on other parts of the medical supply chain that broke down in the pandemic. The same is true. So raising the corporate tax rate in in our industry would be the exact opposite of the policy goal of repatriating manufacturing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Since that tax rate changed, I'll share with you, we have announced and broken ground on a very large new facility in North Carolina. We've expanded Indianapolis and New Jersey. And I think we'd have to reevaluate that if the tax rate went up. Now it could go up a few points. Does that really change things? Not so much, but to think about going above Europe or above major developed nations would be, I think a grave mistake. 
So the U.S. is the only industrialized country without a national paid leave mandate. The Treasury Secretary recently said that plus the lack of child care support is hurting the economy right now in the middle of this pandemic, particularly when it comes to unemployment among women. Do you think there should be a mandate? Uh, well, maybe our actions speak better than than anything. Uh, Lily uh, has expanded our maternity and paternity benefits. So the paternity benefits, four week maternity benefit now goes a full six months paid. Um, not only do we think that's good for retention of top talent, but as a healthcare company, good for the baby. And I'll share just Margaret personal story. You know, my wife's a pediatrician and we had one of our children while on an overseas post in a country that had one year paid maternity leave. And so we saw the difference from our first child where we, my wife was at home three weeks and we had to go back to work um, versus a full year, huge difference. Um, so I think it's also just a compassionate thing to do. So whether we need a mandate, I just hope companies do it. Of mm-hmm. course, small employers struggle more and maybe that's where uh, the, the federal intervention would help. Uh, but we're certainly for expanding maternity leave. And when you take a step back and you look at the Operation Warp Speed project that the Trump administration put in place, you know they trumpeted reducing some of the regulatory barriers, subsidizing private companies to help create vaccines. Is there architecture that they put in place that you would encourage the Biden team to keep? Yes. Uh, you know, I... Th- Plenty of things went wrong in many countries and including in this one, in the early pandemic response. But one thing that went well from my perspective is the Operation Warp Speed effort, which really was uh, kind of an above agency effort to rebalance the normal balance of of risk and benefit for the interaction between agencies and and companies and really make sure that we could get uh, therapies and then vaccines to the public as quickly as possible given the situation. And it was successful, I think much more successful than any other country I can think of. But uh, the, the streamlining uh, and, and de-bottlenecking of the regulatory process, which can be slow and cumbersome. But what, uh, as it relates to medicines and vaccines, we're seeing now is sporadic and um, not so good execution of getting these medicines to people. And that part uh, needs improvement. And I would really encourage the Biden administration to focus there Thanks for your time today. I appreciate you sharing your insights. Of course. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening to Facing Forward. New episodes are available every Friday. Join us each week as we make sense of our changing world together. I'm Margaret Brennan. You can also find me on your CBS Network broadcast station Sunday mornings on Face the Nation or on our digital network, CBSN, at 1030 a.m., 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Sundays or through our CBS All Access app. Facing Forward is produced by Face the Nation's Richard Escobedo and Kelsey Miklas. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did 
what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts.